Good morning, church. Great singing and history is always being made here at Second Presbyterian. The first time in over 175 years, a Millennium Falcon, X-Wing fighter, have landed on the communion table of this holy church. It is really good to be back in the pulpit and to be back with you. Thank you for your a time to catch my breath, and thank you for your warm hospitality to our guest preachers. Many of them uh, have never addressed as many people as they have addressed here, and you uh, love them well, and you show them hospitality. It refreshes them and encourages their congregations too. And we start now with uh, a new study, still in the same series of the Minor Prophets, but turning to the book of Hosea. And you'll notice the full text is printed for you in your bulletin, and it's from the NIV. If uh, you older ones want to know why I've printed the NIV instead of the ESV, you could look at your pew Bible and notice a word that is repeated often in the ESV to describe Hosea's wife and let's say her promiscuity. And uh, sometimes the ESV got tired of new translation and they just rested on the old words. And this word would be hard for you to explain around your table and not one that you'd want your children repeating at school the next day. So we're going to read and study Hosea from the NIV. I'll print it for you in your bulletin, which I love. And it, um, a friend of mine used to call it the nearly inspired version, but I love the NIV. Uh, because it was edited by English majors, and uh, you can tell it. Uh, Hosea 1 is where we study this morning, go through chapter 2, 1. Hosea wrote some 750 years before the birth of Christ. You can see in the first two verses all the kings he served under, both in Israel and Judah. His ministry was anywhere from 40 to 50 years long. He lasted until Israel was scattered to the nations in the judgment of God, and then he turned his preaching toward Judah. He was a faithful man for a long time. He suffered a great deal in order to bring the message of God's overcoming love to a people like us who don't deserve it. The question I want us to ask as we step into this book this morning is uh, how does it feel to be God? We love to talk about our feelings and it's appropriate to talk about our feelings and we sometimes say, someone says, this is how I feel and we say, well, what about how I feel? Our feelings are important to us. Feelings are important and maybe overly important at times, but God has feelings. We're taught that in his word. And if there is one book that clearly demonstrates and illustrates how it feels to be our our God, the God of the world he created, it is the book of Hosea. And may we, in coming to grips with his feeling as a father. May our hearts be swelled. May we be converted. May we be freshly inspired to new Christian living. I turn your attention to verse one of Hosea chapter one from the 
New International Version. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah and Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah for I will no longer show love to the house of Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah and I will save them, not by bow, sword or battle or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. After she, Gomer, had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. And the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites, yet the Israelites would be like the sand on the seashore which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited and they will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved one. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray together. Open our eyes, O Lord, that we might behold wonderful things in this portion of your word. Open our hearts. Open our hearts that we might yield and receive and imitate your love. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said together, amen. Harry Ironside is one of my favorite preachers from the past and early part of the last century. Harry Ironside, the famous evangelist, uh, one day was relating or, or used to relate on regular basis the, the testimony of an, an older Christian he heard one time, the older Christian was telling how he came to faith in Christ. He was witnessing to his fellow church members. And he said, uh, he talked about the Lord, how the Lord had sought him and how the Lord had found him and loved him and called him and saved him and delivered him and cleansed him and healed him. And one other sour old member of the church tended to be legalistic and cynical about everything, came up and said, Brother, your testimony told well the part that God did in your salvation. But what about your part in your salvation? 
What was your part in coming to Christ? He said, ah, I almost forgot. Yes, my part was running away. And his part was running after me until he caught me and saved me. If you want, sometimes we talk about reformed theology. If you want reformed theology in a word, there it is. We were running away from God and we're always running away from God. And God is constantly chasing after us and he pursues and conquers his own. The story of Hosea powerfully, disturbingly, scandalously illustrates that running after ministry of the Holy Spirit. Hosea is, a, is, a, is one of the most beautiful books in the Old Testament, very complicated uh, Hebrew. It, it is, it said, some, some say the delight of artists and the and the nightmare of translators. Because he is, he is speaking with such pathos and artistry and beauty and telling two stories at the same time. The, 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 the meta-narrative, the larger story of God's love and grace and salvation for us and Hosea's exemplifying that in the way he loved Gomer, his wife, and her children. Now, I have in your bulletin two points, and I'm, I'm going to have two points, but I'm going to change the names of them. I have nobodies to somebodies, but I think it's better that we say not loved to loved. What does it take? What does it look like when God pursues those not loved, conquers them with his love, and makes them his beloved? Well, we get introduced to it. We'll be thoroughly... Uh, uh, immersed in it by the end of this book, but we get introduced in this first chapter. Just how unlovable, we should say, just how unlovable was Gomer and just how unlovable was Israel as unlovable as we can be. The, the story is, is told this way, that, that uh, God tells Hosea, this uh, young uh, vibrant, energetic evangelist and pastor. He says, I'm, it's time for you to get married. And I want, you to, I want you to take for a wife one of your fellow countrymen from Israel. Remember, the, 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 the land of Palestine, the Holy Land, was divided, a divided kingdom by this time. Israel to the north, ten tribes, and two tribes to the south called Judah. And, uh, and both were sinful, but uh, uh, Judah hung in longer, would uh, have experienced some revivals more than Israel did. God continued to send his prophets to the northern tribes of Israel, warning them if they did not turn away from their idolatry and their, and their smugness, their rejection of his salvation, that he would disperse them to the nations. And he did that in, in Hosea's lifetime. And so Hosea may have wanted a nice southern girl from Judah, which may have been a little more godly kingdom at the time, but God said, you marry a northerner. For some of you, that would be a nightmare, wouldn't it? I want you to marry one of your fellow tribesmen from Israel. 
Now, sometimes it, it scandalizes people because we read this as, go take to yourself, verse three to verse 2, go take to yourself a prostitute or an adulterous woman, which, of course, was forbidden in Scripture, especially to a prophet. Uh, but uh, Hebrew scholars, one of mine, for instance, Bob Vashultz, explains it this way. Here is what God is saying in, in the way the Hebrew can read. Go take to yourself a child of adultery or daughter of adultery. And then there is, a, there is an explicative, you Hebrew students know, but there is an explanation. That is a woman from a children of adultery or from a nation of adultery. Go take for yourself. In other words, Gomer was chaste when he married her, became a prostitute later, became adulterous later. Go take for yourself a woman from a nation of adultery, spiritual adultery, that is Israel. So it wouldn't have been so scandalous to Hosea at first to say for God, say, go down to the local brothel and pick out a wife. That's not what he said. Instead, it seems that he says, go to your fellow Israelites and find a wife. Your fellow Israelites who are spiritual adulterers, take a wife for yourself. So they married. The, 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 the marriage seems so sweet at first. It, it looks so beautiful and bright. And they have a daughter or they have a son named Jezreel. Verse 4, call him Jezreel. Now, uh, Hosea may have said to God, uh, Lord, you're a little rusty in your uh, Hebrew pronunciation. I think you meant to say, take, uh, call him Israel, one who perseveres. It, it sounds similar, Jezreel, Yisrael. Uh, and God would have said, no, my Hebrew's uh, uh, great, actually. And uh, it's Jezreel. Name him Jezreel, which would have been unsettling perhaps to, to uh, Hosea because Jezreel means to scatter or to sow. And, and Hosea would have, inter- would have known what God was saying because he's heard this warning before. If my people don't turn back to me, if they don't turn away from their smugness, their apathy, their lack of mercy, I'm going to scatter them to the nations. I'm going to do away with them as a nation. And so Hosea begins to live the message that he is preaching. His first child, his beloved firstborn son is named Scattered. It, it, it points to the unfaithfulness of, of Israel. In, in the New Testament, Jesus said, why, are you, why do you worry Why do you worry so much? Like the Gentiles. The Gentiles worry. They're cast about. The Greek word is meteorizo. It's like a meteor. The the, the Gentiles who don't know me as their father, who don't trust in me, they're always spinning around. They're scattered in their thinking. They're frazzled. They're frenetic. They're worried because they have no heavenly father. This is what Jezreel illustrates in Israel. 
because they had turned away from the Lord, because they had, they had, they had turned their back on his faithful commands. They had untethered themselves to his word because it's constricting. It hinders my fun. It doesn't, want me, it doesn't let me do what I want to. It doesn't allow me to express myself. They untethered themselves and life never goes well when you're untethered from God's fatherly instruction. The story goes on as Gomer then leaves. Verse 6, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. It intentionally doesn't mention that this daughter was born to Hosea and to Gomer. We'll learn later in the book why. It's because she left. And she sold herself as a prostitute. She sold herself eventually into slavery. She was trafficked. And she bore a child with one of her lovers. And yet, it appears, Hosea took her back into his home and welcomed that child as his own. And God says, you're going to call that daughter Lo-Ruhamah. Ruham is, in Hebrew is is. Mercy, it it relates to the womb. It's the womb-like love of God. God who is infinite in his mercies. He's father-like in his compassion. He gathers us to himself like a loving mother. And yet God says, I want you to say to these people through this child, they are going to be without my mercy because they've turned their backs on mercy. We know this well by now from Amos because Amos is a contemporary of Hosea and Isaiah. And Amos, as you remember, thundered against Israel's materialism, their self-consumption. Thought only about their own needs, thought only about their feelings, thought only about what they would bring them pleasure. And ignored everyone around them, especially the least of them. And God says, these are mine And my heart is particularly bent toward the weak and the vulnerable and the poor and the orphan and the widow. And you're ignoring them. And because you are unmerciful, you're going to be without my mercy. You know... There are times when when we are strong, when we have our resources, when we think life is together. It's easy to be unmerciful. It's easy to be unfaithful. To forget the God who gives us the sun and, uh, and the rain and the good of the earth and life and breath and everything else and all things good. And there are times when God has to drop a boulder in our lives to remind us of his faithfulness and mercy. I remember reading a, a Sports Illustrated story a few years ago when the tornado ripped through uh, the, uh, the campus of the University of Alabama in answer to the prayers of some of you people. And uh, that's a terrible thing. I shouldn't say that. But uh, it was a, the tornado ripped through the University of Alabama. And there was a, there's a story in Sports Illustrated about some of the, 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 these roommates, three roommates, two of whom were Christians. And they had been, it was an amazing thing that this appeared in Sports Illustrated. And these two roommates had been witnessing to this other roommate. And he said, I'm fine. I'm happy. I make good grades. I do well. I'm, I'm living my best life. And why, should, why do I need Jesus? It's only restricting and constricting. 
Well, you, you need him. You'll need him to face eternity. You need him in your daily life. There'll come a time when you need him. And so that, that tornado uh, came howling across uh, campus, across Tuscaloosa. And uh, those three roommates uh, piled into uh, the bathroom, all jumped in the same bathtub together. And those two Christian roommates, as this third was screaming for uh, out of fear, the two roommates turned to the third roommate and said, would you like to reconsider? <laughs> it's great timing. He did give his life to Christ. Don't wait that long. Don't wait that long. Don't live that long in unfaithfulness and then turning away from mercy. There's a third name here. Lo-Ami. Am is people in Hebrew. Me is a possessive pronoun. Lo-Ami. These are not my people. These were identified. I gladly identified with these as my people. Now they're not going to be my people. Because I am a just God. They have tried to live justifying themselves. They've denied justice to those who are in need of it. And because they have denied justice, I am going to be, I am going to deny them justice. There would be some disturbing history that would come later. uh, And it's what's alluded to in verse four, when he says, I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel in Jezreel. You may remember the wicked Ahab and Jezebel, king and queen in Hosea's day. And uh, Ahab and Jezebel once uh, wanted a vineyard, or Ahab wanted a vineyard owned by a, a humble man named Naboth. Ahab had everything. He was a king. He had everything. He wanted just that little sliver of land, a beautiful vineyard. He went to Naboth. He offered him a lot of money, offered him other lands. And, uh, and, uh, and Naboth said, no, this is my vineyard. It's in, in my family for a long time. I'm going to give it to others. This is my livelihood. I don't want to part with this beloved piece of property. Ahab went home and Ahab was pouting. And uh, Jezebel, his wife, said, why, why are you so sad? Why are you pouting? Naboth won't sell me his vineyard. And Jezebel devises a scheme and murders Naboth and gives him this piece of property. God said, I'm going to punish him. And so he lifts up Jehu, the king, and he said, I want you to bring just capital punishment against Ahab and Jezebel. And he did. He executed them. But then he took revenge and he became violent and he massacred everyone who was remotely related to Ahab and Jezebel. And God says, in effect, I gave you responsibility to execute justice with its right limits in your domain. And you took it farther and abused your authority and your power. And so I will bring down you and your whole nation. That was the end of Israel. What kind of people are unlovable? They're people who are unfaithful, ignore God's commands, are not important to them. And they're unmerciful, failing to show proactively the mercy they've received. And they're unjust, not caring who around them 
is not receiving justice or even who around them is not justified by Jesus. That's not the end of the story. Verse 10 is a dramatic change. Yet. You notice how absolute things are? Up in uh, verse 6, I will no longer show love to the house of Israel. And then verse 10, yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore. People who are not my people will be called sons of God. Has, is God. Is God senile? Has he already forgotten? Does God contradict himself? This is a, a characteristic of the Bible. We call it an antinomy. It is a, 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 a law that seems to be a contradictory, but two statements that are equally true. Where God says, if you refuse my salvation in the name of Hosea, Hosea means salvation. If you refuse this message that Hosea is bringing to you, which will eventually be incarnated in Jesus Christ, if you, re- if you refuse it, if you keep turning your back on mercy and faithfulness and justice, I will be unmerciful, faith, unfaithful. I will, I will turn uh, away from you. I will deny you justice. I will not be a faithful God to you. I'll be a judging God. Yet, if you turn to me, you'll be like the sand on the seashore. What will God do for those who turn back to him? He will be merciful, he will be faithful, he will be just. There was a man in my church many years ago who who uh, seemed to have everything in order. He seemed to be so successful. He was good looking. He was an athlete. He was a super athlete. He was, uh, he was uh, always running marathons and ultra marathons and he was a world record holder. He, he was successful at business he was popular, and he seemed to be a, a good person, a good citizen. His wife became interested in Christianity, came to our church, became a Christian. So he came along with her to support her. But when we would meet together, he would say, you know, I, don't, I know that's so helpful. I'm so glad that's so helpful for her, but I don't need it. I got, I've got everything. What, what, what can Jesus do for me? And then God began dropping boulders in his life. Business wasn't as successful. Hit by a car riding his bike. Marriage was a little rocky. One Sunday afternoon, I was just dozing off for my nap and there was a knock at my door. He was on the front step and he said, I want to know why you've called curses on me. And I said, you know, as much as I wish I had that power, I don't have that power. You're, ex- you're experiencing what you've effectively asked for. You've turned your back on God's faithfulness. You've turned your back on his mercy. You've turned your back on his free offer of justification by faith. And you should feel loved, actually. If God didn't care anything about you, he wouldn't be doing anything of this kind of severe mercy of drawing you to himself what you, here's what you need to, what, what can I do? What can I do to get him off my back? There's nothing you can do to atone for yourself 
you turn back to Jesus. You turn to Jesus. You turn to Hosanna. You turn to Hosea, to salvation. And when you do, this is what will happen. He will, he will show you faithfulness. These are the three stars in the constellation of covenant, of covenant theology in the Old Testament. God says, I am faithful. I am mercy. I am justice. Come to me. I'll bond myself to you and you will be infallibly connected to my faithfulness, to my mercy, to my justice. It, it'll cause you to read the Bible differently. For instance, when you look at putting on the armor of God in Ephesians 6 and you, you see the put on the breastplate of, of uh, uh, the, the, uh, the breastplate of faith, the shield of faith, shield of faith, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith. You, 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 to, ha- to handle the fiery darts of the devil. It's not that you're supposed to have this faith that can recognize the fiery darts of the devil and you fend them off. But he's describing what the Hebrew mind would know. No, he's saying, hide yourself in the covenant faithfulness of God and it will be the shield of God's faithfulness to guard you against the fiery darts of the devil. Don't give up trying to live on your own. You're scattered. You're wandering. You're untethered. You're, you're terrified. You're worried. You're anxious all the time. Put on the shield of God's faithfulness. And when you turn to Christ, he says here, in effect, you will, people who were, who were not loved will be loved. Not lo ruhama, but ruham, you will be you, you'll be in his bowels of mercy. As a father has compassion on his children, the Lord will have compassion on those who fear him. It's not just a legal arrangement. He will bind you up, gather you up in his arms and love you mercifully. Be the father of mercy, the God of all comfort. And when you turn to Christ, you will experience his justice. That is, he doesn't sweep your sins under the rug. He doesn't turn a blind eye to them. He doesn't say, I'm going to grade on a curve. But he weighs your sin exactly as they should be. And he says, they're all deserving of hell. And yet, if you turn to me, I will take all of those sins and I will place them on this vicarious Savior, on Jesus And he will become guilty of them. He will become sin in your place. And I'll take his righteous record. Active one, the passive one. He fulfilled my laws in every way. He was totally faithful. And I will take that record and put it on you. And you will be considered righteous or just, justified. And when you really experience justice and justification from God, you will become one who is passionate to give away the faith and to pursue justice in imitation of your father. Those people who were not my people, now you will be my people, my loved. I will 
transform those who are unlovable into those who are beloved. The prophecy here, by the way, we'll talk more about it later, is also that these that ethnic Israel. It's described more in Romans 11, but when he says they, they will be like the sand on the seashore, that Abrahamic promise, that Judah and Israel will be one and they will appoint a leader, Christ, to be Lord over them. There is the promise, it seems to me, in Romans 11, that though the ethnic Jews, the, the, the Israel, that the, the gospel has been primarily spreading among Gentiles since the time of the Apostle Paul, That God has not replaced Israel, God has not rejected the Jews forever, but he said instead he's making them jealous for a time. And if their rejection has meant blessings for the world, what will their inclusion be? But life from the dead. So that when Christ returns, it won't be with a whimper, with with something that happens in a corner, but on the heels of a great worldwide revival, of a great ingathering of Gentile souls and an even greater gathering of Jews so that God will fulfill his promise to Abraham to be the father of many nations and of a people no one can count. This is how... Big God's love is for the unlovable. I got a fresh insight into this passage yesterday as I was coming back from a trip and I was sitting next to a young man. We struck up a conversation and, and he uh, had identified himself earlier on our trip. I'd met him casually before we got a chance to talk more in depth and he had identified himself earlier in the week as a single father. His two little girls, six and four. But he volunteered in our, in our sitting together how he came to be a single father. His marriage turned, you know, started out so beautifully. And when his second child was six months old, the lid came off of his wife's double life. She'd been cheating on him for years. She had succumbed to a predator at her workplace. And she, she turned away not only from her husband, uh, but from her children. You can have the kids. Turned her back on her, her mother, her aunts, or, I mean her sisters. Turned her back on everything. This is the life I want. She ran off like Gomer. The father, her husband, loved her so much and that, and I could see the, the deep pain in his eyes as he was sharing the story. He loved her so much, he, he, he told, he confided in a few friends, didn't even tell his parents, said, I don't want anybody else to know what happened because I, I want her to come back. I want her to get healthy. I want her to be my wife again. I want her to be the mother of my children again. I want her to be her, the daughter of her. I didn't get any indication he was necessarily a Christian, but it's amazing. She didn't get better. Divorce became necessary, and and, and then she, she she fought him for custody. And it, it turned out she she fought him for custody not because she wanted the children, but she didn't want some some other woman raising her children. So he had his lawyer draw up a document and said, "I will never marry again." 
couldn't believe it. I thought in my mind, that's, ins- that's insane. What are you thinking? They finally got the custody in his hands and eventually she, she came back into the, the realm of these people who loved her. She, she got healthier psychologically she, and, then, and, and, and she got more stable and, but still not ready to be married and still dating other people. And he, he welcomes her into his home with his children when she wants and and she's reconnected with her mother a little bit and sisters. And he said, I, I just want her to be a healthy person. Healthy to be a mom. We can't be married again, but I want her to be healthy. I, I did have a fleeting thought. There's something not right with you. And I remembered my sermon today about Hosea and Gomer. The scandalous love of this man to bring this woman back, not once, but three times, and it gets even worse. Stay tuned. And then I realized this is the kind of father I have. This is the kind of Jesus bridegroom we have. And this is the Jesus who opens his arms to you for the first time or the thousandth time today and says, come to me, you unfaithful, unmerciful, unjust people. And I will give you Hosanna. I will save. Let's pray together. Wonderful, merciful Savior. Thank you for pursuing us. Those of us who have received you already, you have pursued us in the past and you keep pursuing us. And those who are here today and don't know Christ in a personal way or within the sound of my voice, you have pursued them with this message today. Bring us to yourself. Robe us in your righteousness and make us imitators of your mercy and your justice. In Jesus' name, God's people said together, amen.